3403 of the Survival Podcast, and we were having some pre-episode go-live chat in the live stream from YouTube, and uh, we were just kind of talking about how today we'll probably have this like huge turnout of a few hundred people uh, to the live stream, and it'll probably get downloaded like, you know, at the full rate of like the total listener count, and it'll be way more popular than something like yesterday's show where we talked about hydroponics and how to feed yourself through the winter because people like the blood, the guts, and the gore more than they like the actual solutions. Sad though it may be, but so shall it be. We do need to look at all sides of things, and I've got a uh, an interesting show for you today, if, if, if not one that's blood and guts anyway. Uh, we're going to talk about a 1950s movie. I've actually talked about this movie before. It's about World War One. Uh, Kurt Douglas was in it. And I have to say in the movie, he looks so much like his son, Michael Douglas. It's, it's, I think you could have substituted one in for the other with a deep fake, honestly. Um, but so it's, you know, it's a movie that was going on in the 19 teens and it's, uh, it's, it's from the French side of the war. It's pre us entry into the war. It's called paths of glory. And as I've been listening to all this nonsense going on with trying to gin up war on the European continent in the middle East and Asia, there's that part of me that, you know, grew up an 80s kid, a Gen Xer. We hit under our desks for nuclear war drills, all that. And, like, we kind of got to a point, I think, Gen Xer, where, like, this isn't going to happen. If it was going to happen, it would have happened in the 70s and the 80s, you know, like, when tensions were at all-time highs and stuff. And as I watch what we're doing right now, it's really idiotic. It's really stupid. Like, we're $34 trillion in debt. What do we need now? Two wars, right? Uh, I I put out a meme recently. It was the dude from um, Office Space, uh, Daryl, when he's like, I'll tell you what I would do if I had a million dollars, man. Two chicks at the same time. Two wars at the same time is what uh, our government wants to do with $34 trillion in growing of debt. But there's a reason it can happen, and it has to do with the mindset of the people that actually make the decisions. And it's actually in this movie from the 50s about World War One, And we'll talk about that. Ukraine has suspended elections because it's not the time for elections because we're in a war. And the mental gymnastics of the people defending this, uh, the de- Ukraine is a, is, is a democracy and it's fighting for democracy and we have to support the democracy is gold medal level. We'll talk about that for a little bit. Childless couples. And single high-income earners right now are making up 70% of all uh, home purchases. And when I say childless couples, that would include people like me, right? I'm a father, but my son is on his own. I don't have to pay his bills anymore. So it's people that are either young, uh, upwardly mobile professionals that are married and childless, or the kids have flown the coop, or they're individuals, or there's... This is not really in the article I'm going to share, but I do know this is happening. There's like this like platonic marriage almost going on sometimes where like two guys or two chicks will get a house together and share the cost of it, but they're not romantically involved, but they're they're basically creating the environment that you gain economically by being married, 
uh, Solo and uh, what have you. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about Governor Hochul, right, who I told you idiots who wanted to get rid of Como, don't, don't be so sure that it's going to be an improvement for you, New York. Uh, she has a new uh, surveillance effort going on. I'll actually play her explaining it to you how wonderful it is. And we'll talk about how it's all bullshit and how really it just smacks of 1984 information policing. Uh, it, the 19th century, I got the one kind of positive spin story for you today. I just think it's kind of cool. And, and you know, we might need reliable weapons in the future that are hard to confiscate or find. The 1917 Enfield is a weapon that I have a particular fondness for. I actually own one that somebody sporterized. I really believe there, there was advertisements uh, in the 30s and 40s for barreled actions. And I, I really think the person that did mine did not rip one apart. I think they bought one of those barreled actions. There were millions of those sold. And it is a wonderful gun. It is incredibly accurate with the cheapest green and green and yellow Remington ammunition. I've shot a lot of things with it. And I because of that, I have an affinity. And I, I probably need to, before it becomes impossible, to pick up like a collector grade uh, original unmassacred uh, version of it. But did you know that the 1917 Enfield, which has been in service for 106 years, is still in military service on, in a frontline unit of a European country? And there's a very good reason for it. I thought you might find it interesting. And while I won't play the video, I have a link for the video about it for you in the show notes today. Supermarkets are removing self-checkout. Uh, the one in particular featured is from Northern England, so it may not seem to apply here. But what does apply is that it's not that people don't like self-checkout, it's it, which is what the store ownership, the executives, et cetera, are saying. They like to talk to people. We like to communicate with our customers, and they want to communicate with us and have discussions about their lives. No, it's that the technology sucks. And if they fix the technology, people will love self-checkout. I'll talk about a corollary between that and things like Kindle books when we get to that one. Um, the basics of investing in silver. I had a question on that. I thought I would knock that one out. We haven't done a whole show on it in a long time. It doesn't really need a whole show. It's actually so simple. I think it's what confuses people. And then the White House has a new initiative. They have It's like a 46-page book. Let me check. 54-page booklet that they've put out. And a whole program that goes with it, and it all revolves around converting commercial property into residential property. We've heard about this already floated in San Francisco and L.A. The federal government seems to be poning up money, incentive programs, et cetera, and kind of encouraging local municipalities saying, hey, maybe you need to rethink this shit where you don't rezone property. And what does that all mean? Well, it ain't. Good. And we will explain it when we get to that is the anchor segment. Before that, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. And Tom noted that there's a new background, which is no background behind me. That's just my wall back there. And the flag, the uh, the the flag that's always been back there with the skull and everything. It's just off to the side because the pack fell out and I couldn't find it yesterday. But I've also decided that we need a new flag. So there'll be a new flag coming, probably be there Monday next week. It's supposed to arrive Thursday, so it probably won't end up on the wall because Thursday is expert council Q&A. Anyway, sponsor of the day number one today is KnifeKits.com. KnifeKits.com is where you can build the best with the best, and anyone can learn to build a knife there, even me. If you want raw materials, 
to like shape your own blades and do everything by hand from scratch. I don't care if it's uh, the best steel you can get or Damascus steel or whatever it is you want to do. You want uh, buffalo horn for making handles, mammoth tusk. Like they've got all that stuff. They also have some very simple kits where you can start your journey into the world of knife craft. They also have all the stuff you need to make things like Kydex holsters and stuff like that. Really great company. Have literally been with us almost since the beginning. And what I mean by that is they were one of the first custom, first sponsors to step up and sponsor this show. They were one of the people with their handout ready to do it before we were ready to take their money. So they have been with us about as long as a sponsor could be, which is about 14 years at this point. That is forever in the world of podcasting. So remember that when you're making decisions about where to do your procurement for things like Kydex and knife making supplies. They've been doing this forever. Anyway, next up today is K9 Academy. My good friend Joel Riles has got this amazing website, K9Academy.us. If you go there, you can sign up for any of the courses that he offers. I definitely recommend everybody at least take the basics course. It's a one-time $89 course. Uh, they have a monthly ongoing thing with new content month after month, 20 bucks a month. They have an annual program. And they have some really high-end stuff. They also have some stuff you can do for free, um, a problem-solving library. You can do that for free uh, just to uh, to sign up and get a feel for things. So you might really want to consider that. I look at it this way. The most difficult thing for any dog trainer to do is train the most difficult species you have to train as a dog trainer, humans, not dogs. You give a guy like Joel your dog that's a complete train wreck, and in five minutes, he's walking around with it, and it's doing everything he says. It's training you that's hard. This is how you take that knowledge and you make it available everywhere in the world, uh, available to anybody at a very reasonable cost. Because not everybody can, you know, go to Florida and hang out with Joel, though it would be really good uh, if you could. But you can't. So why not become a member of K9 Academy at K9Academy.us today? Anyway, let's uh, let's remind you guys. Uh, real quick here, that if you want to ask questions, and I'm sure there will be some in today's show, please put the word, word QUESTION in all caps, followed by your question. Please make your question a single sentence. If you want to give me details, give me details after that. So I know exactly what you're asking me, and frankly, so you do as well. And uh, let's go ahead, and uh, here's an interesting thing. Um, before we even go on, Builder of Castle said, in Blue Cities, I'm surprised. They're still walk-in stores, and Hector says all large cities are blue. I'd say that's pretty true. Uh, the only large city, you know, more than a million population in the city proper, and obviously I'm geographically biased in this, but the only one I know of that's a big city, more than a million people in it, in the city proper, that's a Republican city. And you, somebody's going to probably prove me wrong, and please do thank Thank you for doing so in advance, but it's Fort Worth, Texas. Fort Worth, Texas has been Republican for a very long time, decades now even. Um, and it, it is the exception even in Texas. Houston is blue. Dallas is blue. Austin is blue. San Antonio is blue. Those are all your big cities in, in the, the state of Texas. 29 million people and probably two-thirds of them live in and around those areas. Anyway, moving on, let's get into this about World War III. I'm going to bring something up on the screen right now. I'm not going to play the video for you. I'm just going to bring it up so you got to get a vibe or a feel for what I'm talking about. This is toward the end of the movie. And this movie is called Paths to Glory. 
and it featured uh, Kirk Douglas, and it was made in the 1950s. This is toward the end of the movie where this general that's in front of him is informing uh, his character that you need to just shut up and do what you're told because your promotion's sitting here. It'd be a shame if you didn't get your promotion before you, like if you got demoted before you even got promoted. And what's just happened in this movie is uh, it was either 10 or 20 of his men were lined up and shot in front of a firing squad because of some things that went wrong during one of the attacks and a perception that people did not obey orders, etc. And this is trench warfare at its height. This is when people were dying constantly. And more people were dying of diseases and things like trench foot and viruses and other things and tetanus than were from cannon fodder and bullets. But plenty of people were dying from that as well. People were being hacked up and, you know, you're barely beyond Civil War era medicine with amputations and things. This is a really horrible period of time. And in this movie, the general concocts this idea that they need to execute a percentage of the men for morale. It's not really about whether or not the perceived disobedience occurred. It's that morale is suffering. And if the men see their compatriots stand in front of a firing squad and die bravely and valiantly, it will fix them right up and they can go back to fighting this pointless mud level war. And of course, that's what happens in it. And right before this part of the scene, what the general has told Kurt Douglas's uh, character is the men died magnificently. Okay, this is. This is actually based on a lot of truth, okay? This is not some fabricated movie. This is based on real events. Now, I'm sure there's some dramatization and things like that, but this is how the elite of the time really thought. And you can understand where they might come to this conclusion. Think about what was going on at this period of time. Thousands and thousands of men died every day anyway. They're here to die. They're here to die. Like you're, and they, of course, they did it by lots, just like the Romans, right? They drew straws or rocks. I don't remember what it was, but they drew, they drew lots and randomly selected the number of people that were to be executed. And so you could have just as easily been killed charging out of the trench following orders as this. So what's the problem? But there's a bigger thing here. The generals of this time were truly a part of the elite class. And there's a funny thing that happens when people get into an elite class. They believe that they are simply set apart, very similar to the way that royals tended to think at the height of, you know, royal monarchies throughout the world, that we are we are a different class of people altogether. We, we serve a different purpose it is the common man's lot to die. If we are to die, we will die. But we don't have to go out and, like, seek death. We don't have to stand alongside our men and fight alongside them, especially at the level of a general. We already kind of did that as lieutenants, and we came up in captains, and then we slowly moved into this hierarchy. And now we're up here. And these people were very wealthy, very, very wealthy, even compared to, let's say, general officers of our time, and very well connected with the elite I'm here to tell you that while that is not as true 
in our military establishments as it was at the time. In other words, a two-star general is not that elite in the world anymore as far as being connected to the billionaires. The mindset of the elite that you are here to die if necessary is prevalent. This is why I believe they really feel when they know that some people will die from a stabby stab, they still say everybody has to get the stabby stab because, well, if your lot comes up black and you die, it's just for the greater good. Now, as we go through today's show and the different stories that I have to cover for you, I want you to realize something that's been clearly going on for several decades at least. The entire movement of the elite is to reduce the population of the planet by whatever happens to happen. But everything's like if you are disincentivizing people from having children, you're going to have a byproduct of a reduced population. If you're convincing people who are men that they're really women and they should drop their wang off, you're going to drop the reproductive rate even further. If you're infesting the food supply with chemicals that reduce fertility, you're going to, you see what I'm saying? Like every single thing, every policy, if you make it more expensive to have children, people will have less children. If you make the cost of housing go up, people will tend to have less children. So why, why, why wouldn't you have a limited nuclear exchange war? If you know you're not going to die, you're, you're safely sequestered in your little place. Even if you're wrong about it, you believe that you are so above the masses that this won't really hurt me. And they've handed down this mindset to the morons that are out marching in the street begging for World War III who are like, we support the Palestinians, and these are people who the Palestinians would throw off a building if they got five seconds of opportunity to. This gay, trans, lesbian shit for Palestine, that's like like chickens for KFC. I'm sorry, it is. And this is nothing against people that choose to live that lifestyle. It's the brain-dead mindset that the masses are embracing it with. And when I look at what's going on in Ukraine... When I look what's going on in the Middle East, when I look at the provocation with China, I have to say, like, if we're not headed for World War III, it's purely by accident that we're not. Like, everything they're doing is going. Now, does that mean that I'm saying right now today that World War III is going to happen? I am not. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you cannot rule it out. You can't ignore it. You can't do what all of us Gen Xers did like, hey, we didn't nuke everybody between 1975 and 1995. It ain't happening. It sure felt like that for a while. I mean, when I got out of the military in 1993, we had already kind of come past a lot of this. The Soviet Union collapsed. The wall had come down. I A lot of it we didn't even know about because all we had for TV was AFES. And let's face it, we never watched it. We were always out partying, chasing girls and shit. We're out in the jungle doing shit, right? So I, I didn't really even understand this dynamic shift in the world when I came home. But once I did, I was like, oh. because I grew up watching reruns of things like uh, Twilight Zone, where like every third episode was about World War III. And I grew up with, occasionally we would have these drills in our schools where we would hide under our desk because the class. I grew up being a kid that watched two nights in a row, two-part series, the day after, and I was in, like, second or third grade, and I remember going, and we were in Catholic school, and every kid in my class saw that movie. 
freaked out about it. And what we talked about the most was at the end of it where the guy was screaming, get out of my house, get out of my house in the rubble. And then the words came up and said an actual nuclear war would be far worse. And we can have World War III, folks, without nuclear weapons. I don't know how likely that is, but don't think we can't get into conventional war all over the world. We're kind of already there. The question is just how bad will it get? And Food Forest Farms, Brian says, World War III was an economic war. It started a bit ago. We already lost. I think there's a lot of truth to that as well. This is the end of American empire, which I've talked about before. We can't be $34 trillion in debt and not be at the end of an empire. It doesn't work. There's no way around this. And we still live in a society where because we are stupid, and I say we collectively as a nation, including our government and our oligarchy, and we don't care about anything but profits for the elites, we have done nothing to fix the problems that were made amazingly visible. Like most of us in my world, we knew this problem existed, but it was to the surface for everybody during COVIDs. And that was that China makes everything, including things we actually need to survive, like the raw materials that makes our medications, like the the the, the chips that run our computer systems. And, and we've done some movement in the chip industry, and we're building right now the largest chip manufacturing facility under roof in the United States down near Austin, Texas. It's being put in by a company called Samsung. Maybe you've heard of them. Like one in three Koreans, South Koreans, work for Samsung. That's how big it is. And it's a mouse fart in the total demand that we have for these chips going for it. And we've done nothing really to fix it. Nothing. So we did lose the economic war. And we are continuing to lose the economic war. And the only question is, when, when it really all falls apart, what does that look like? And if you're looking for an answer for me in that, I've done shows where I've talked about the possibilities. We, none of us can know. None of us can know. We've never had a nation as big, powerful, dominant, economically and socially and culturally influential in the world as the United States collapsed from empire. The closest thing is the British Empire, but we were sitting right there to step in and take over on their behalf. Well, who's there now? China? Russia? We are a lot like the UK, especially at the time that happened, that transition happened. Russia? Russia is not going to be the dominant superpower of the world. They don't have it in them. It's going to default to China unless something really weird happens. And what does a world with China as the preeminent superpower look like? While the United States, no matter what its military might is, can't find its footing economically, and China can squeeze off our balls at any time by cutting supply. That's why I don't think necessarily World War III equals nuclear war. Why start a nuclear war when you can defeat the enemy by simply not sending them stuff? You don't even have to embargo them. Just don't send them stuff. I mean, if you want to know how much power China has, no one, no one could get Gavin Newsom to clean up San Francisco except Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping is coming to visit Newsom, he's coming to San Francisco. All the homeless people, all the vagrants have been pushed out, fencing put up to keep them out. And you know what will happen? Once ping comes, right, he's going to ping, and then he's going to ping away, and then they're going to take away the barricades and all the shit 
is going to come right back in. If you have any doubt who's really in charge, that should have told you right there. And I guarantee you any major city with similar problems, let's say Chicago, let's say Portland, let's say Seattle, let's say Philadelphia, right? Let's say New York City, anywhere that ping goes, I'm telling you right now, they'll clean it up. You can believe it or you cannot believe it. They will clean it up just long enough for the visit to occur because the people that pay the bills are the ones that are in charge. But, hey, do with that information as you want. But do not let a misguided belief that it can't happen creep into you. And don't don't live in fear either. We still have to go on with our lives. We all, If you're young, we all did this before. Yeah. All right. Next up, uh, Ukraine has suspended elections. And uh, I said that would happen. And I was told I was lying. And I was a tool of Putin and a Putin stooge. And a Russian sympathizer. And I said, look, all I'm saying is what Zelensky is saying that they're going to suspend elections. I'm just saying it's not a maybe, it's a definite they're going to do it. And of course, they came out and announced that they are suspending elections and not having elections this year. Now, Zelensky did say if the United States had given him enough money that they could have had elections. By the way, that's not reported in MSNBC, Fox, CNN, et cetera, but that statement was actually made. Okay. Uh, but apparently we didn't give him enough billions and tens of billions of dollars. Uh, so he can't have elections because the company, the country is occupied. That's the, that's what all the uh, apologists for this are saying, but it's occupied. Somebody said to me on Twitter, well, did, did France have elections during World War II? Well, actually, yes. Under Nazis, the French had elections, specifically Southern France. They had a public government installed by the Nazis and even the Nazis came up with a, you know, a fake government uh, in, in in Belgium, which is one of the places that he asked about. No, because the Nazis had, Nazi had full occupation and didn't have time to set that up in, in, in the totality of things. They just ran things. So the, a nation that's occupied by an occupying force, border to border, edge to edge, end to end, and really isn't at war anymore. These countries weren't at war. Like we had this contingent of the French military that escaped to the UK that were part of the liberation of France, but that wasn't France. France had been occupied and taken over. Uh, Belgium had been occupied and taken over. So of course they didn't have free elections because they were under a dictatorship. That's the point. The United States had elections during World War II. The United States held elections during the Civil War where we were fighting ourselves don't, don't, don't give me this bullshit. It's, like I said it's Olympic gold medal mental gymnastics trying to claim that this place, Ukraine, is a democracy. It is not a democracy. It is an oligarchy. And it's an oligarchy that is so beyond the oligarchy that the United States is in, it's a joke. It's certainly not a bastion of democracy. You do not suspend elections because there's a war in an actual democracy. You have to ask yourself, why are they suspending elections? Why? Like, if you actually just pull it back and stop making excuses and go, if I'm Zelensky, what is the number one reason that I would oppose an election? Because I'm going to lose. Because the average Ukrainian is done with this war. The average Ukrainian does not give a flying F about the Donbass region, which is a tiny little strip of eastern Ukraine that's ethnically Russian. Whether you think it should be or not, it is. 
And the average Ukrainian doesn't give a flaming F about it. They don't care. They want their lives back. They want to stop pissing money away and they want to stop seeing their friends and family go away and come back in a casket, never come back at all or come back missing body parts. They don't want it anymore. That's why they're going to suspend elections, because if you had elections, free and fair elections in Ukraine, which would be something of a feat in of itself, it would result in the end of the Russo-Ukraine conflict because they would install a government that would end this shit. They would go to the table and negotiate and end this shit. Now, whether you think it should happen or not, I'm giving you facts here, not opinion. I'm telling you, everyone knows this. Everyone knows this. And we are doing everything we can to prop up a corrupt government and maintain this conflict so that BlackRock and Raytheon can make a profit. And you think maybe this ties into the whole World War III discussion we started out with? It's just something to be aware of. Just something to be aware of. Moving on, um, I find this to be interesting. And I brought it on today because it fits with my overriding narrative today, which is the goal of the elite is to reduce the population of the planet. This doesn't necessarily mean eugenics and concentration camps and stuff like that. You can do a lot to affect population growth and decline with policy. And overriding policy has been significant in the reduction of global population for decades in the developed world. And it is beginning to trickle into the undeveloped world where reproduction rates are still high. Japan is in a population decline. China, for all the talk of billions and billions of people, is in a population decline. The United States has fallen below reproductive rates that maintain population. That means we are in population decline except for immigration. Without immigration, we would be in steep population decline. And it's not that immigrants are coming here and reproducing. It's that immigrants are coming here and, and upping body count. Europe is in full-on population decline, and the average young person today thinks that having children is a bad idea. Well, one way you can do that is you can make it so expensive to live that people don't want to have kids. And then you know what happens. If you're old enough that you've been through you know, having and raising children already, before you had your first kids, wasn't there this whole inkling of we're not ready yet? We're not ready yet. We're not. It's not a good time. I don't have enough money to have kids. I can barely afford to live. How am I going to afford another mouth to feed? If you had one kid when you had your second, you might have still felt that way a little bit. But then when you have kids, you adapt and you realize what a blessing in your life kids are. Right. Like you're like, wow, this is really great. And you see like eventually becoming a grandfather or a grandmother and you realize how amazing that is. And let me tell you something. The first the first time a little kiddo calls you Papa. Or grandma or mama or whatever, whatever your name is in your family for grandfathers and grandmothers is one of the best days of your life and you'll never forget it. But there is that hang up in the beginning. Well, that hang up today is greater than it's ever been. And right now, again, if you look at this article. The, the title for those not on the, the video, tough housing market is luring buyers without kids and higher incomes. And if you go on, read the actual article, what you'll find is that 70% of new homes sold this year were either purchased by married couples 
who had no children either because they weren't, they didn't have any yet or the kids were over 18 and out on their own, fledged out of the nest. Or they were young couples who had yet to have children that were high income earners. So they had really good jobs out of college, that type of thing. Cause there are a lot of people that do well out of college for all the people that talk about being pretty, I mean, 10%. Or that upwardly mobile, they have the right degree in the right place with the right connections. And one or two years into their careers, they're knocking down six figures or better. Right. That If you're in a high demand field right now, you can pretty much name your price within what's reasonable. And so those people are buying. And then this isn't in the article, but I know for a fact this is going on. I call it plutonic marriage, plutonic same sex marriage generally. And it's where people are basically just doubling up and saying, hey, man, look, if we had two incomes. And none of the bullshit that goes with the marriage, like you take this half of the house, like we share the kitchen and the living room and we each take it like it just works out much better that way for people economically. And that's who's buying houses right now. Well, what does that what does that result in? Does that result in a a, a growing dynamic population of young people having children and seeing to the next generation or does that further us? And the mouse is here, folks. You better smash that like or it's going to be awful. There's going to be Eka Mouse teeth going everywhere, blood flying through the air, Eka Mouse claws. It is time to hit the like button. 20 likes with 77 watching. What's up? And there's 90 of you watching for real. Uh, I don't know what you're seeing on the YouTube side, but I've got 90 uh, back here. And we only have 20 likes. You better hit that like. Eka Mouse will be pissed. Anyway, it results in less and less concern about the future. The number one way to make people stop thinking about the future is to make the present miserable. If you make the present miserable, the future, you, you, you can, you, you, what you'll do then is you fantasize about the future. You don't think about the future. And here's how that's different. Fantasy is man. One day is multicolor car guy back in high school. I've talked about before. Remember multicolor car guy. If you're a kid from the eighties or the seventies, there was at least one multicolor car guy in your high school, right? That's a dude, like he's got this old Chevelle or a Nova or something. And like the front fender is green, the hood is white, the other fender is red, the car itself is brown. It's got Bondo all over it. Right? A multicolored car guy would say, Man, one day when I get some money, I'm gonna get some Krager mags, some Kelly Springfield tires, 60s on the back, 70s on the front, lift it up, it's gonna be sick. I'm gonna tune this motor up, chrome valve covers. Big old intake, Rochester Quadrajet, right? And then you maybe you left for college or like me in the military or you went away, you moved, and you go back to visit your family. It's five, ten years later, and they're going down the street. It's multicolored car guy's car, and it's worse. And son of a bitch, look who's driving it. Multicolored car guy. And he probably works at a body shop. That's fantasy about the future. Make people miserable about the present and they fantasize about the future and they naturally extend the future to be longer than it is. This is the old saying I've tried to put you in touch with when it comes to like starting families, having having families, building a life now, not wasting your dash. The days are long, but the years are short. And you know, about the time you get into your late 40s, early 50s is when you really like Hey, man, there's there's probably less ahead of me than behind me. And a lot of things that I wanted to do, I either better get with doing or I'm not going to be doing them. And some of them you're not going to do, especially if you're like a woman. 
you're in your mid forties, you're not having kids. I mean, there's the rare cases, but odds are you're not having any kids anymore. And if you never had any kids, you're not childless for the rest of your life. You can adopt it. It's not the same, especially for females. There is something about having that child come from inside of you. And I'm a stepfather, so I'm not saying you don't love the kid just as much. But I think for especially women, having talked to many of the, the other sex, right, that actually does exist, there is something very significant about that. And those that, for some reason or another, can't have children that do adopt and they can't even do an implant or something, it always is kind of with them. I really wish I would have been able to. And there's a biological clock in women. You know, men, we can pretty much, if we can, if we can erect the tent at 90, we can make a baby. Doesn't work that way for women. And they know that. And the longer they can, even if young couples tend to have children, if they wait until their 30s or, you know, late 30s, mid 30s to have kids, they're going to have less kids. And to me, what they're doing with housing right now is a big part of that. And we'll come back to housing at the end. Next up, 1984 was supposed to be a novel, not a guidebook. Somebody did not tell Kathy Hochul, governor of New York, this. I want you to listen to what she had to say about their new program so that they can monitor for hate speech with their surveillance efforts. Listen to this crap. Also, we're very focused on the data we're collecting from surveillance efforts. What's being said on social media platforms? And we have launched an effort to be able to counter some of the negativity and reach out to people when we see hate speech being spoken about on, on online platforms. Our media analysis, our social media analysis unit, has ramped up its monitoring of sites to catch incitement to violence, direct threats to others. And all this is in response to our desire, our strong commitment to ensure that not only do New Yorkers be safe, but they also feel safe. Because it's really important that you feel safe. In fact, it's more important how you feel than what you are. It's okay to not be safe in, in their mindset. I'm telling you, as long as you feel safe, that, that's all they're looking for is so that you feel that they keep you safe is really important. But here's my issue with this. If I thought that this person had a, a modicum of an IQ higher than, you know, it, it, it actually crossed into a three-digit IQ, an IQ 100 or higher. And I thought that this idiot was actually out there to protect the people of New York. And I thought what she was saying is, you know, we have all these things where, like, people shoot up places and shit, and it always turns out that they have, like, a social media profile saying they're going to do it, and people are aware of it, but nobody ever does anything until after the fact, and then they call for gun control. I would say that actually kind of makes sense. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about the fact that every single one of these mass violence events were people that were known to authorities before. Every single one of them. Every single one. There's the, the meme, a famous meme, based on an episode of The Simpsons where Bart becomes famous and he has a line I didn't do it, and it's, it's just a riff on Urkel from, from, what was it, Family, whatever the show was, with the, the, the cop, the big fat guy cop in it, right? 
Uh, family matters, right? Urgles, I didn't do it, you know, right? Or, or did I do that, right? That's what was in that show. And Bart's was, I didn't do it. And he gets so famous. He's in the classroom and all the kids are staring at him and they're like, say the line, Bart. And he's like, oh, I didn't do it. Yay! And they all cheer. Well, there's one where it's Bart and it says, say the line, Fed. And, you know, the shooter was known to us and everybody cheers. Yeah, that is exactly what's been going on. And this is no way in an effort to do that. What is she talking about? Hate speech. What the fuck is hate speech? Seriously, what the fuck is hate speech? It's whatever they say it is. It's a microaggression. Let me tell you something. If an aggression is micro, you don't need to fucking worry about it. It's not. It's the fact that we have people who can worry that somebody may have said something that if you analyze it the right way could be construed as offensive, even though they didn't mean it. And they believe that something needs to be done about it shows you that we have the most coddled group of young people that have ever existed in the history of the world. I was going to say the country. No, there has never been a more coddled, protected class of imbeciles than the youngest generations of Americans right now. Absolute idiots. Absolute imbeciles. If you have time to worry that when somebody said something 15 years ago, it could have been construed as offensive, even though nobody did. If you have time to worry about a fucking Christmas song that's not even a Christmas song because you think it's an anthem to rape when it was actually originally performed by a married couple to entertain people at their dinner parties, right, and was originally featured in a film that was about a tropical resort not in Christmas time, and the entire thing of Baby It's Cold Outside was a joke because it wasn't cold outside because it was a tropical fucking island, and you have time to worry about that. You are a coddled, special little child, and you're stupid. And you're not stupid because you're intellectually slow and incapable and you're not actually intelligent underneath. You have been made stupid by a system designed to make you stupid. And the entire goal is to create, again, a society with less people in it because stupid people tend not to reproduce. Dumb people reproduce like crazy. That's the whole concept of idiocracy. Dumb people are people that actually aren't intelligent and you can't fix it. Right. I know Ron White said you can't fix stupid, but what you can't fix is dumb. Stupid I'm using here in the context of Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, philosopher and minister and writer from the time of Nazi Germany, who said that stupid people were the most dangerous because they could not be fought back with against with violence and they could not be reasoned with. The violent people, they come at you with violence, you use violence, you shut them down. Stupid people in a mob, they can destroy an entire society and they believe they're doing it for the right reasons. It's, I, I see that like... The level of stupid in our society makes the level of stupid that was developed by the Nazis look like freaking amateur hour. And this whole idea that we're going to surveil people, this is so that we can all this is, is to make people afraid about what they say. Prosecuting people for sharing memes that's happened. It, It could be construed as this is hate speech. And I guarantee you they have a hotline to all the social media companies, including X, Shitter, Twitter, whatever we're calling it today. Hey, take this down. Now, to Elon Musk's defense on on some levels, he says no more than the prior ownership did. Pagwog Assball, who was in charge of Twitter at the time, right? However, there's still censorship going on. There's still things being taken down. And and, and the entire point is to do exactly what they did in 1984 to make people afraid of what will happen if you speak the truth.
and tell me it doesn't work because it does. Let's talk about something a little bit more enjoyable to discuss. So I learned something in this video that a listener sent me, and I actually learned it in her email because they told me in the email what it was about. This video is, let me look at the main screen. It's only seven minutes long, six minutes, 59 seconds, and it's the story of the Enfield rifle, including the British Enfield and then the laser later variant that the United States began making, the 1917 Enfield. Before I tell you about the movie, let's tell you how that happened. So as the United States barreled into World War One, we had a rifle production problem. We couldn't make enough for all the men that we thought we were going to send to the war. We ended up not sending quite as many as we thought we would because the war ended rather abruptly uh, about the time the U.S. entered it. I've often described World War One. Imagine a great big bar fight. There's a couple big buff American dudes watch the bar fight. When everybody's about to fall over, they walk over, pick a side, and start knocking dudes out. And then they claim they won the fight. That's that's kind of how World War One went down. But anyway, we thought it was going to be a lot more troops that ended up in World War One, even though there were many that did. So we needed lots and lots and lots of guns. So we were making Enfields for the British. And, you know, we were also had adopted the 1903 Springfield as the U.S. long arm of choice. And so we went to the companies who were making the British Enfields and said, can you make a British Enfield that fires the 306? So we have all of our guns use the same ammo. And they're like, you got money? They're like, yeah, we got money. We stole it from the taxpayers. Well, yeah, yeah, we can make them. So they started making this. And most people who are students of the two platforms will tell you that the more reliable and the better platform was the Enfield platform. Our Congress, being a bunch of dumb fucks and the manufacturer of the Springfield, many who also made Enfields, but they preferred the contract they had for the Springfields, managed to shit can it going forward, which all didn't matter eventually because we went to semi-autos. But the whole point was that the Mauser action of the Ot3 Springfield, when you open the bolt, it caught. Where the Enfield, when you opened the bolt and retracted it to feed around, it didn't cock until you closed it. It cocked on closing. But it was one of the smoothest actions. A well-trained British soldier with a pattern 14 Enfield sounded like he had a friggin' machine gun, the way that they could work those. Um, and then once we added the 3006 to it, it really is a premium bolt-action rifle for the time. Very, very reliable. And that's what I learned in this, 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 this short little documentary here. It's not just that these, there are Enfields and there's other bolt action rifles in service in military units all over the world. And they're generally in ceremonial issuance or they're in like national police force issuance or something like that. They're not in frontline military units. But the, the little video, you know, the little still shot of the video that you're seeing on the screen right now, the two men with 1917s going through the snow is from a, um, a, a, a Denmark unit called the Sirius, the dog sled patrol. Sirius is in the North Star. And here's a little info on these guys here. These folks patrol the northern um, portions of Denmark on the tundra. And they routinely encounter things like muskox and uh, polar bears. 
uh, both of which can be exceedingly dangerous. And the gun that they carry, again, this is a frontline military unit under the command of a general, and they carry the 1917 Enfield because it is the most reliable, guaranteed to function in the supreme cold. You'll be able to work the action. It will feed another round. It will fire. It will go bang. It will do all the things it's supposed to do of anything that they've tried. This gun that's 106 years old is still used. So if you've ever thought of adding one to your arsenal, I would say that, you know, you you definitely, you could do worse than what you chose to add. I think it's a uh, fantastic gun, and I may be biased because I've hunted with one so often. Again, a sporterized version. But I've always thought and kicked around the idea of picking up a surplus one that's in really great collector's class shape. And this might just be the thing that pushes me over the edge. And I definitely don't want something that's in such good shape that I won't ever take it out and shoot it because they are a blast to shoot, pun intended. Moving on from there, um, this article is true and full of bullshit at the same time. It's on Yahoo Finance. It was reproduced from for, or, or reprinted from Fortune magazine. I'm using the Yahoo Finance version because it's not behind a paywall. Uh, a grocery store chain is removing self-checkout after realizing executives hate it as much as customers do. Quote, we like to talk to people. Everything was true up until we like to talk to people. No, they don't. Uh, the first line of this article is the most factual line of the whole thing. Some people love self-checkout at the grocery store. Others hate it. One chain is getting rid of it. All that is fact, right? A lot of people hate it. But do they hate it because... You'd rather talk to the checkout person at Albertsons or Walmart or because it doesn't work. See, in this article, if you actually read it, you will find that when they actually talk to customers instead of executives trying to put a positive spin on this failure of a form of basic form of automation, that the customers don't hate it because they want to talk to checkout people. Now you'll find the lonely 88 year old person who like the person they go to the store twice a week when they really don't need to, but they break up their purchases because they get to go out and they get to talk to people. And I, I absolutely believe those people exist. I I've, I've known people like that, that they just want to talk to everybody because otherwise they don't talk to anybody. Okay. Um, but the reality is most people don't want to talk to the checkout person at Walmart. And what you really don't want is the person in front of you talking to the checkout person while you wait to check out. So these long, interesting conversations, I don't know about you, but when I'm in line and two people are talking like old friends and instead of beep, 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 I'm getting beep, blah, 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 yak, 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 beep, beep. Oh, blah, 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 blah. This thing looks like blah, blah. Oh, yeah, I love this thing. Yak, 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 yak. Bag. Beep, beep. Blah, 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 blah. My kid. Like, I'm like, would y'all shut? I don't care if you talk, but would you keep the shit moving? I have stuff to do in my life. I want to get out of here sometime today, right? That's how most people feel. So it's not in any way, in my opinion, that people want to have long conversations with the checkout person at a grocery store. And I'm going to say, I know many of my people in my audience are working retail and I'm not putting anybody in particular down, right? There's, there's smart people. There's intelligent people. There's wonderful people in every line of work. Most of the people 
that work at the grocery store we shop at as checkout, not all, most, are borderline capable of a conversation at an adult level. I'm just saying, like, these are people with IQs in in the mid-80s. And I, again, I'm not trying to, I'm just saying it's the truth. And that's not the person that, that most people want to have a conversation with. And, and, and when you go to the grocery store, you don't go there because it'll be a fun day out. It's like, I have to buy shit and get the shit and come home. And I have other things to do. And you're not happy because everything's too expensive. So I'm going to tell you flat out. If they had a way, and it's coming, and I've been saying it's coming for a long time, and it is. Where you just went and got your shit and you just got charged for it and you'd have to talk to anybody. You'd have to deal with anybody. You didn't have to stand behind someone in a line arguing with the checkout person over a quarter who you literally pull a quarter out and go, here's your quarter. Please, can we get through with this? You got your quarterback, ma'am. I, 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 I have shit to do. And I've, I've actually done this. I've gone up to a, like, it was like 75 cents. I gave the lady a dollar and she said, it's the principal. Well, my principle is I want out of here. I want my shit and I want to go home. And I think most people feel that way. So when everything works and I don't have to talk to somebody, that is the option that 90% or more people will take. The technology has failed, not the concept. And if that wasn't true, then not then every brick and mortar store on the planet specifically outside of the world of groceries, would not have taken a massive hit in the ass over the last 30 years of the Internet rising. Amazon wouldn't be a trillion-dollar company if people really valued talking to other people while they're buying shit. And not like going to a, a car dealership and test driving a car and talking to a salesman and finding out the difference between this trim and that trim or whatever. Like, not that, like, shit, you know what you're going to buy. I'm going to go to the store. I have a list. I'm going to buy this shit like I buy every week. I don't want to talk to anybody about it. I have no interest in talking to, to people at the checkout line at all. None. I used to. The longer I've done it, the less interested I am. And as the quality of the person behind that counter has gone down. And again, I'm sorry if you're a high quality, wonderful person doing that job. Then you know what I'm telling you is true because you are surrounded by Muppets. This is one of those places where, once again, you see the establishment spinning a narrative. Since our system doesn't work, we'll say that it's not that the system didn't work. It's people didn't like it. Bullshit. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Food Forest Farms says, Amazon Fresh, I shop there, grab and go. We're going to get to a point where technology is reliable enough that people are just going to go and load their shit up and leave. And it won't be scan and go where you do it yourself. And, you know, already people have said that, you know, theft is a big part of the problem. Theft is a constant in retail. Let me say it again. Theft is a constant in retail. It's a no. It's accepted. Now, there's theft and there's turbo theft. There's like mass organized 20 guys break a window down and go steal a bunch of shit. There's the places where they're not enforcing a law with a crap anymore. And a guy goes in with a brick and smashes open and steals all the razors and shit because he knows he can get money for them. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a well-run area like north central Texas. I'm sure there's parts of Dallas where this isn't true, but most of this area, you go in and shoplift and you get caught, you're getting a free ride in a police car for a little shit, like a pack of gum. You're going to jail. You might not stay there very long, but you're going to fucking jail if you do that here. That It's still that way. 
But even with that being the case, any retail establishment has a line item in their projections for retail theft. And they know it's going to happen. Self-checkout does not have to have zero theft for the establishments to fully embrace it. It just has to have less or the same amount. If I get the same amount of theft and a higher profit, I'm good. It's a write-off. It's understood that it's going to happen. Now, I want to shift gears for a second before I kind of come back into the main theme today, which is how we are systematically being depopulated by policy rather than extermination. And I want to talk about investing in silver because I was asked about it quite a few times in the last month. And basically the question is, how, how do I do this? Like, what type of silver do I invest in? Do I use an IRA? Do I not use an IRA? Do I buy bars? Do I buy eagles? Do I buy pre-65 junk silver? What do I invest in and why? And how do I, how do I do this? Okay, it's really simple. You buy the silver and you put it somewhere safe. That's the most, I'm going to give you more, but that's the most fundamental answer. You do not buy ETFs. You do not put it in an IRA or something like that. I'm going to segue for a second on the IRA thing. If you have money tied up in a retirement account and you want to allocate some to silver, I'm okay with that. Buy SLV. That's the primary silver ETF. Because it's liquid and you can instantly trade it inside the IRA. So if silver takes this huge bounce up and you're like, I want to capture that and there's no tax consequences because it's tax deferred. Okay, that's fine. If you're buying physical metal, you're buying one of the most anonymous vehicles for wealth known to man. If I have a silver bar in my hand, it's actually a light remote control for recrolling studio lights. But if this is a bar of silver and let's say it's worth 300 US dollars, right? Um, and I want to tr transact with you and I want to give you 300 US dollars. I take this, I put it in your hand, you have it. It has limits. Unlike Bitcoin, I, if you're in Georgia, I have to mail it to you. I have to take risk that it gets stolen or lost in the mail. And the post office is full of thieves. I've been yelled at for that before. But I can tell you as someone who's received an awful lot of empty packages that were supposed to have silver coins with them in the mail, the post office is full of thieves. So I have to take that risk. I have to pay for the transport. You have to wait for it. That's true. But if we are co-located, co right, here's your silver. Here is your thing. It is gone. If I wanted, let's say this was a group of bars of silver, and this is $12,000 worth of wealth. I want to transfer it to my son. Here, Matt, here's your $12,000 worth of silver. Me, Matt, and the fence post are the only people that know that. So if we take silver as one of the most anonymous, easily transportable forms of wealth known to man, and we put it inside an IRA, what have we done? We've made it one of the most publicly scrutinized form of wealth known to man. The government has 100% visibility into it, 100%. And they have rules about when you can take it out and what you can do with it, how much you can take out at any one time and have to pay a penalty to take your own money. Like, I don't see the point of that. If we're taking capital that we have outside of an IRA and buying silver, we go to, if we're buying it online, I recommend JM Bullion, our sponsor, yes, and they pay me to recommend them. But I also recommend them because I've been doing business with them for 10 years, and they've never screwed anybody, and I can talk to the president, 
and they will ship your silver for free and orders over 200 bucks. So just wait till you need to order at least $200 to do it. And DCA every other month or every third month instead of every month. Or go buy it locally from a shop. Go in, buy it, hand the money over, take the silver, put it in a safe. Best, best form of wealth protection in your home is a fire-resistant sleeved floor safe. It's where they actually core a hole into the foundation of your home somewhere, not obvious locally located. And the safe itself is the face. And the face drops in and four big giant bolts go out into the concrete. It's also metallically sleeved. My, the reason I trust this type of safe the most is my father ran a business, a high cash business when I was a kid. He had a floor safe. In 12 years of running that business, his business was burglarized 17 times. Tells you the area he was running this business in. He was held up at gunpoint twice. My grandfather, who worked for him for a while, was held up at gunpoint once and shot because he was an old man that wasn't about to give the motherfucker the money he asked for and kicked the dude and almost got away but slipped. And the guy shot him in the arm with a 25 auto. Um, he ended up fine. They never even took the bullet out. That's just the kind of place this was. Well, in that 17 robberies, right, 17 burglaries, you rob people, you burglarize. So 17 burglaries, five times. They went into the back room, rummaged around, found it, found the safe, and tried beating the shit out of it with everything they could find in a tire shop. There's a lot of shit to beat the floor out of. Never got into it. So a fire-resistant floor safe is a great way to, to really secure valuables. A second would be a good fire-resistant safe, and you need to put it somewhere where it can't be carried away. And I'm just saying that, you know, you might... You might, if you're taking the strong box, firebox approach, you might buy one and make it easy to find. Yeah. And you might fill it up with really heavy, worthless shit. So that if somebody broke into your home and they found it, they'd be like, oh, it's the mother load. And they can only carry so much. So I get the mother load. I can't get into it. I'm going to get out of here with it. And they get home and they have like, I don't know, a like four bags of nine shot or something like that. I'm just saying, like, you know, it could be really heavy and you almost pass out carrying it and you get absolutely nothing for your trouble. That might be a way to uh, to help as a distractionary measure from where you actually are keeping your wealth. You also very well could buy a safe deposit box at a bank. And that's probably the most secure, except the U.S. government has fucked this up for America by claiming to protect us as part of the Patriot Act, like they've done with so many things. When I say the terrorists won on 9-11, this is one of the examples. Buried in the Patriot Act to protect you from terrorists was a little line in this 1,200-page document of garbage and bullshit that has nothing to do with patriotism. And it redefined the relationship between a financial institution renting space to a customer is a financial relationship. Up until that point, federal regulations defined a financial relationship as an account. I go to Bank XYZ, they give me a checking account, a savings account, a certificate of deposit. All of that stuff is publicly reported. It is clearly a financial relationship as they're custodying my money for me. When I buy a safe deposit box, there could be money in there. There could be important paperwork in there. There could be Things with no value other than to me, and I'm willing to pay nine, ten bucks a month 
for a box to keep, let's say, pictures or something like sentimentally valuable backups and things like there could be anything in there. So it's not necessarily a financial relationship. It's renting space. That's all it is. Renting a secure space. The government redefined it as a financial relationship, and that means if you are in under any scrutiny, they can far more easily than any time in history order your box opened, drill it out, and go look what's in it. Without you even knowing that it happened, you could come under scrutiny, and they could go seize your assets without you even being notified until after they've seized the assets. So I'm not so hip on that anymore. I'm really not. And so Builder of Castle says, I strongly suggest that no one get a bank safe deposit box. The banks are not safe. The banks are going to fall and be closed and those boxes will not be accessible. That's a, that's a, that's a concern as well. So I'm more for self custody, just like I am with Bitcoin. You said to be careful about it. What to buy? Probably the safest thing to buy from a reputable dealer, which you should always do, is American Silver Eagles. Because there are some tax advantages that I won't get into that allow you to sell a certain number of them every year with no tax consequences. I'm actually a diverse silver holder myself, though. I hold rounds, I hold bars, I hold junk silver, and I hold silver eagles. And I like them all. But if I'm purely investing from an investor standpoint, I'm going to side with silver eagles just for the tax advantages alone, but whatever you want. I also am very big on sticking to ounce or junk silver sizes. That gives me maximum flexibility with liquidating them right now. Now this always could change, but right now you can go to like most pawn shops or something like that and walk in, sell them $400 worth of silver with no real paperwork. Now they're probably going to do paperwork at their shop, but they're not going to do any kind of tax reporting. The threshold's like 600 bucks. And this means if you needed to liquidate silver and you didn't have enough eagles or you were in excess of the allowance for eagles to be liquidated at a profit, pay tax and whatever, you could just go to multiple locations. So the smaller the fractions, the more flexibility you have in that. So that's my suggestion. This is what I suggest you don't do. Do not buy silver from people on eBay or anything, any kind of third party seller site. Buy from reputable dealers only and sell to reputable dealers only. So you have recourse if you find out something went wrong with the transaction. And this is why there has been multiple reports of people buying what looks like authentic silver, feels like authentic silver, test the outside of it for, uh, for uh, hardness and it's silver. And the coin is like not a silver coin. It's a plated silver coin. So that has happened. That has happened. And I, I, I strongly suggest you always buy a reputable dealer when you're buying silver or someone that you know that did. If like a friend or something like you're transferring silver, that's fine. But don't don't go buying because the only reason you would do it is the price is better. Think about why that would be the case. Think about that, why that would be the case. All right. Coming back to the overriding theme today, which is your government <laughs> is and and the elites that run the world are clearly doing everything they can to disincentivize people having families. It's certainly families that would hit the replacement number to keep population stable. Uh, we are definitely in a population decline. I know that's hard to believe because you've been told different all the time. Well, the White House now has launched an effort to spur office to resent residential conversions. 
what they're saying is we have these buildings all over the country now that are empty because COVID. Now, if you're a student of commercial real estate and you know about the commercial real estate boom that went on during the era of cheap money and you know some of the reasons companies did this, then you know that's bullshit. COVID, when COVID was going on, one of the things that I said over and over again is COVID is killing the dying and I don't mean people. So a lot of the businesses, now what the government did was terrible and they certainly destroyed family businesses that would have survived. But the vast majority of businesses, restaurants, etc., that went under never to recover during COVID were in decline and likely would have ended up eventually bankrupt anyway, killing the dying. Commercial office space, everything from strip malls to great big buildings, has been in decline for a long time. Before you can understand how overbuilt we are, you have to understand why a company might do this. So a company goes out, they borrow money at next to nothing to build a building that they're going to rent. And maybe they rent it and maybe they don't. But the building will appreciate in value because they'll have it appraised every year. It'll appreciate in value every year. And then they have more leverage to borrow more money, even if the damn thing's empty. As long as they can service their debt and and then you're back to the, the Cantillon effect, the closer to the faucet you are, the cheaper the money is. And so there was a lot of commercial real estate. And I covered it while it's happened. I have a video. I'd have to find it. But it's from back in the, God, it's like the early 20-teens, like 2011. And I'm driving around in Arlington where I lived at the time. So it's probably 2010 with my phone. And I'm videoing all these brand new strip malls that were put in. And then I'm also videoing older commercial space that's vacant sitting there vacant and none of it's full and saying this can only go one direction. That's how long I've been paying attention to this. Well, when the COVID hit, though, this went on turbocharged. A lot of companies sent a lot of people home to work from home. And despite all of the bullshit and the nonsense, and most of it's governments trying to bring workers back and they're incentivizing the companies to do it. Most companies went, hell, you know what? This works. My people are happier and I'm more profitable than ever. Why do I have this big expensive building to the point where companies like Pinterest spent millions of dollars to legally and cleanly walk away from leases under their exit clauses? I think Pinterest paid a landlord something like 19 million dollars to terminate a lease in San Francisco. And so this is turbocharged. This So now. um, Maybe it was 10 million. Somebody, 220 mix says, didn't printers or want to walk away from a new building cost $10 million because they would save money by walking away? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I think it was $19 million, though, is what Pinterest actually paid uh, that particular company to stop. And they didn't really walk away from a new building. They had vacated the building during the COVIDs. And when they decided not to bring people back to work, they're like, well, what do we do? And so they, you know, they're, they're being propeller head found, being counter propeller head found the clause and Lisa said, we give them $19 million and we walk away. And they sent the bean counters back and said, does this make sense? The bean counter said, this makes economic sense. They wrote a check to walk away. So we have all the, and, and these cities like San Francisco, LA, et cetera, more than others, but there's plenty of places this is going on. Now, some of these are strip malls and stuff. That's not going to work, but there's a lot of like high rise buildings and stuff like that that are empty now. And, One of the big impediments 
to turning them into condos, apartments, whatever, are local zoning issues. So what this effort by the White House is, is to say, hey, look what we have for you guys. We have this 54-page document here, right? It's in PDF. It's free to download. Give it to your propeller heads and look at it. I know that the propeller heads in government are not as good as the ones in private businesses, but look at all this money that we can give you. Look at all these programs. I'm looking. Look at this. Look at all these guaranteed loans and tax credits. Look at this. It's a whole page. Oh, it's two pages. Oh, it's a page and a half of free money that we'll give you. Loans that you won't ever actually have to pay back. Grants, tax credits. Look at all the stuff that we'll give you. If you'll ease up on this. Now, what the cities are saying is, but my money, the cities are, you know, they're little governments, they're little upgrades, right? A pimp to go get his money, right? A big upgrade saying, listen, little upgrade, let me school you on this. I got all the money. I'll give you some of it and do this because the commercial tenants that you think you're going to make the property taxes for aren't coming back. And it's only a matter of time before the person holding the property walks away from it and stops paying you. So we need to do something about this. So let us dole out some of the stolen monies that we have from all of the peoples and let's convert these to residential property. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to start happening. And this is what they're going to say. We need more affordable housing in insert name of fucked up city here. In an effort to do that, we have made a deal with insert name of development company here. And this other entity, insert name of commercial uh, real estate holder here to convert this particular property group of properties, whatever to affordable housing. It will not be affordable housing. It will be very expensive luxury condominiums. That's what it will be. That's what it will be. They are not going to convert this stuff into housing projects. They might do a couple kind of like golden rice to push GMOs and nobody's ever actually seen anybody ever actually eat the golden rice. It was just a PR stunt. It's never been grown anywhere. It's got beta carotene. It stops nutritional blindness. Yeah. So does three cents worth of beta carotene in a bottle. It was all bullshit. That's exactly, there might be a few token low income housing developments. This has been going on for a long time too. I mean, it's it's so prevalent. It's been written in the pop culture. There's one of the Harlan Corbin uh, miniseries that are being done on Netflix. They're actually pretty good, and they're some of them are shot in Britain, some are shot in like Poland, Germany, France, and the ones that are not in the English language they have they have dubbed over so you can watch them in English. And the one that's in England, set in England, it's exactly the plot line that. This old man is holding on to his house. It's actually because he has a dead dude in his wall, by the way. Um, sorry about the plot spoiler there. Um, but he has a dead dude in his wall, so he's holding on. But it's under the, the idea that he, I grew up here. I raised my kids here. I don't want to give it up. But the development company's like, yeah, you know, we're part of this affordable housing for Britain. We need more affordable housing. And, of course, it's all like half a million pound and up properties. That's what's going to go on here. But why are they doing this? And And the real reason is is not so that they can provide housing. That's, that's the solution. That's not the reason. The reason is commercial real estate is crashing. Commercial real estate is about to have the largest crash that's ever been seen in real estate in the United States market. 
It's coming. It's going to happen. It's a combination of things. One, we're headed straight into a recession. It's amazing how long they've kept things on life support up to this point. But we're we're reaching a breaking point. And we're also up against a labor crisis. So even companies that can do business can't hire enough people anyway. It's this weird dystopian diametrically opposed reality that no one ever thought they would ever see. And you have to understand that a labor shortage is as bad for the economy as unemployment. is. They just work in different ways. And what you're ending up with is, a huge number of what we would call underemployed people, a huge number of unemployed people who are not on the unemployment roll. So we say they don't count. They're people that have just given up their, their benefits ran out. They never qualified in the first place. They never took a real job in the first place. And then we have this entire segment of the population that has degrees, but they're not qualified to actually do anything. They can't build things. They can't fix things. They can't make things. They can't do anything. They can go to the, the, the coffee shop and get a pumpkin latte for their boss and they can hold down a desk, but they're not functional as workers. And we have that colliding with a society where the companies that want to stay in business are realizing we have to be better, faster, more agile, quicker and have lower overhead. And one of the biggest overheads that you have as a company is a building that people come to every day. It makes them miserable. And these companies are snapping to, well, if I can't trust the person, I shouldn't just she just shouldn't hire them or I can hire them and I can monitor their performance. And I don't really give a fuck if they work eight hours a day. I give a fuck that I have this metric for what I need done by them and I have a quality metric that it needs to meet. If that happens, I don't care that they took a two hour lunch. I don't care that they played Fortnite. I care that the workload I give them gets done. And all of this is leading to this vacancy of an already overbuilt market. And it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming hard. And the goal right now is to hold it all together while we're on the brink of war, but not quite fully engulfed in it. And get... The geriatric dementia patient in the White House reelected one more time because as much talk as there's been about helicoptering Gavin Newsom in or anything, the people in power know that Trump is their benefit right now as long as he loses. And that Biden has a very I don't care what the polls say. I don't care what the talking head on the radio told you or whatever. There's a very good chance if you end up with Trump v. Biden in the general election that Biden wins re-election. And then they can do whatever they want to get rid of him. Right now, they can't get rid of him without ending up with her, and they can't win an election with her. They can't do it, and they know they can't do it. She is impossible to get elected at this point. As, as, as disliked as Brandon is, Cackles is more disliked. So that's the goal. Let's hold it together with duct tape and, and, and bail and wire and zip ties, except those are people that are too stupid to know how to use those things to hold things together. So it's a metaphor. If we can just get the old man back in office one more time, we can change his depends fast enough. He doesn't stink the place up. He doesn't get lost one more time. We just get him reelected one more time. Then we'll figure out what to do. We'll get rid like if the orange man loses, the orange man's going to prison. I don't think he belongs in prison, by the way, just to say, but he's going to go. And that's a message to you, too. 
Now, that's not I'm advocating for Trump for president. I'm just telling you that's what's going to happen. In fact, here's an interesting thing. I think what most people are betting on, Trump wins the election. Trump becomes president. Nothing in the Constitution says the president can't pardon himself. Can't indict a sitting president. So can't have more charges while he's in office. He pardons himself and everything goes away. If he wins, he's going to get enough of the Congress on his side that he's not going to get impeached and removed from office. So everything will be good. The great pumpkin rises again. America, make MAGA a great again, right? Okay. Here's the problem. Some of these charges are state-level charges, like the ones in Georgia, which I think are trumped up for fabricated charges, pun not intended, okay? I believe that. But I also believe that they're probably going to get a conviction in Georgia because prosecutors get convictions in Georgia, especially politically motivated convictions. You know what the president can do for you if you're convicted by the state of Georgia or the state of Texas or the state of Florida or New York or whatever? You know what the the president of the United States can do for you? Nothing. Presidential pardons do not extend to state level charges. They don't. I think a lot of people don't know that. Governors can pardon prisoners in their states. Presidents can pardon people who have been charged or convicted of federal charges only, which even means you could be convicted of a federal charge released on a presidential pardon. And if the state never charged you, they could charge you under a different crime, even for the same action and say a double jeopardy doesn't apply. Double jeopardy doesn't apply. This person committed a crime in our state. Here's an indictment. And if it's within the parameters, they can get that. So I don't I think those of you who think, well, when Trump wins reelection, everything will get better. It isn't that I don't want to believe it. It it, it isn't that I don't want to believe it. It's that I don't. I'd like to believe this absolute catastrophic train wreck we're headed for can be avoided. I really would. I, I, I would like to think that if we can just get, even if I, even if my pessimistic view of the oligarchs control everything is true and all, like at least presidents decide who we bomb, who we don't, and who we support in bombing other people. And that Trump's track record is one of avoiding conflict and reducing conflict on the global stage. I know some of you are going to be like, no, he started all kinds of arguments. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about domestic. I'm saying from a standpoint of military intervention, Trump has a pretty damn good record of avoiding military conflict and to negotiating so that two sides that are against each other learn how to coexist. Like that's actually one of the really great things that came out of the Trump administration was no new wars, reduction in conflict. Yes, I know he bombed Soleimani, and I think that was a mistake, by the way, a huge one, that we're still dealing with the ramifications because the Iranian government is still trying to convince their people that they can stand up to us, and that did not help. But overall, gets like an A-, minus compared, and compared to other presidents, gets like an A+. plus. But it's not going to happen this time around because they're going to make sure that it doesn't. And one way or another, we're going to have to deal. We're going to have to deal with however this plays out. There is no guarantee how it plays out. But U.S. empire crumble. 
that's going to happen. How long and exactly what it looks like is what we don't know. A point at which the powers that be and the people of this country accept the national debt has gone to a point where it's it's gone past the tripping point. It's tipped and it cannot be fixed and we have to rebase the entire economy. Those two things are going to happen in some ways, in some ways. We would be better off if that happened as fast as possible because it would curtail our ability to continue to meddle in the world and stir up the pot and try to create a freaking global conflict, which it seems like we're doing right now because we think we'll be there. A little debate here about the term republic going on in the live feed. I'll finish with this. Tommy D says the Republic of the United States and builder of castle says the Republic no longer exists. It's a corporation. Um, whether or not that rebuttal is true, I have to say something here. Whenever somebody uses the term Republican Republic and in speaking about the United States of America, when it comes into conflict with the word democracy, we're a republic, not a democracy. If you're on the right, you've probably said it. And if you live in America, you've probably heard it more times than you can remember. There is no further pile of bullshit than that as it is used in the modern day. The United States of, of, of America is a republic in its form of government and its constitution. So are more than 100 other countries. Let's put the plane. F-35s are loud, man. They like to buzz my house with those whenever I get into stuff like this. It's, it's a republic. But so are more than 100 other nations in, in the world are republics. Republics are not magic. You can say the United States is a constitutional republic in the form of a representative democracy or that we are a representative democracy in the form of a constitutional republic. You can swap that around all you want. We are a democracy and we are a republic. Well, people are trying to say when they say that, whether they know it or not, you know, because they were told by a white haired dude on on TV or some shit. It's a republic. What they're trying to say is we're not a pure democracy. So we don't vote on everything. We have a constitution that sets the parameters of what government can and cannot do. Yeah, that's what they mean. So is every other country. There, I was corrected by this by a listener. I always take correction when it's accurate and checked on it. It's true. There are a couple canons, which are like states within Switzerland, that are pure democracies. So there's a couple states of Switzerland that are pure democracies. No other country on the planet is a pure democracy, and many are republics. What you're doing when you say, but we're a republic, not a democracy, you're playing semantics. And this is the part that's going to be really hard to understand. Even if you're right in principle from the founding of the country forward, in reality, it doesn't fucking matter. It's semantics. It doesn't change anything. And you say it's really important because it's the way things are supposed to be. There's a lot of things that are supposed to be a lot of ways. We are grown ass men and women. All the way back in the 1800s, Leonard Spooner pointed out the Constitution was either something that allowed government to do all the horrible things that it did, or it failed to prevent it. In either way, it is not fit to exist. I think the ideals of the Constitution are fine ideals. I think that we would be a lot better as a nation, as a republic, and as a representative democracy if we followed it. But something being or not being constitutional matters very little anymore. There's still some vestiges. 
The reason they haven't taken away all our guns yet is because of the Second Amendment. I'll give you that. But almost every gun law that exists is a violation of the Second Amendment. It's just a matter of how far they've been able to violate it. Don't get caught up in this nonsensical argument. I showed that libtard. I told him we're a republic, not a democracy. That libtard doesn't give a fuck what you said. And it's one of the few places where they're probably right. There's no reason for them to care what you say because the government's going to do what the government's going to do. The only way we're going to resist is with action. And I'm not talking about direct revolt. That's how you get shot. That's how you play into their hands. The state's modus operandi is violence because the state is exceptional at violence. Violence is all the state has. Everything the state does is predicated with violence or the threat of violence. Right down to if you don't pay your taxes, we'll send you a piece of paper that says you have to go somewhere. But eventually men with guns will put you in a cage if you do not comply with what we said. Everything the state does is violence. When you use violence against the state, you're meeting them at their level. It is building parallel economies, building communities, ignoring them, making them irrelevant, replacing failed systems with new systems rather than trying to fix failed systems. That's all we have. Suggest we get on with it. With that, before we go, let me remind you, one of the ways you can help support this show and the work that we do is do your online shopping at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. This is where I usually give you an item of the day and say, here's a really great thing and why it might belong in your life. And if you want to buy it, buy it through my link and whatever. Instead, today I'm bringing an article around I haven't brought around in almost a year. And I should probably bring this around like once a month because it's that important. It's about a program called Amazon Renewed. And I have a whole article written up. You can read. There's a link to the show notes uh, in the video notes below. It'll be there as soon as the live stream is over. Uh, and I get that up so a half hour after we no longer are alive. You guys need to know about this program. And you need to know the few gotchas in it, too. And I've got it all written up for you there. But let me give you the synopsis, the short version. People think that Amazon Renewed works this way. Bill buys a widget. And Bill gets his widget. And his widget breaks. It arrives broken. He uses it. It breaks. It was flawed in some way. A wire popped off the inside of the widget, whatever. So Bill sends the widget back to Amazon. Amazon sends the widget to a little room where some guy with a soldering iron fixes it and paints the nicks on it. And it's basically a refurbished item. That is not what Renewed is. Renewed is Bill bought the widget. Bill's wife said, Bill, you don't need the widget. Send the widget back. Bill prints a return label and sends it back. It's probably never even been used. It might not have ever been out of the box. It is now a used item. It cannot be sold, sold as new anymore. So Amazon calls it renewed. They also don't do this with all their returns. The renewed program in Amazon historical timeline is fairly new, probably 25% of the total time Amazon's existed. There's been a renewed program. Amazon is an incredibly data-driven company. So what they were doing is they were selling all their returns on packed up pallets to people who would buy them sight unseen. You know, they'd say X amount of retail value being sold for 1200 bucks, right? Person would buy it, go through it, find all the shit worth reselling, repackage it and sell it, including a lot of it. They would actually put back on Amazon as the used items. Amazon, with all their data, uh, was able to figure out the stuff that sells the best. And so now when that stuff comes in and returns and think, high-end name brands that people buy. They cherry pick the best stuff, put it in the renewed program and sell all the garbage on their pallets to the other people. 
And so what you're getting generally is a brand new product. Now, there's some things to know that are in the article, but one of them is if you buy a DeWalt drill, you don't get DeWalt's warranty. You get Amazon's 90-day warranty. DeWalt's like, no, it's not new anymore, but we, that, that warranty does not transfer. So you need to know some things. But the way I put it, if you – what? Amazon suspended? No. T-SPAS is no more. Amazon suspended it in February. I don't know what you're talking about, Chris. T-SPAS exists and, and, and renewed works. Here it is right here. Right there. You can search it. Let's say drills. But he's saying it doesn't exist. Amazon suspended it. Nope. There it is right there. Milwaukee M18, 18 volt lithium ion drill, $99.99. New price, $125.99. Right there. It's a Bosch drill, right? 10 bucks off, battery powered. Like, here it is right here. So it, it's, it's all there. It's all right there. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And uh, I guess I should put it on screen for you, huh? There it is right there. There's, there's a search right there. I love when people do that. It doesn't exist. Well, there it is. What else you want? You want a food processor? Let's find a food processor on Renewed. Food processor. Best rated on sale. Cuisinart. FP8 GRMFR 8 cup. New price 69. Renewed price 54. 139 for an FP11G food processor on sale with renewed for 77 bucks. There you go, Chris. I don't know what he's. I don't know what he's missing, but it's there. It's on the screen right now for you. Uh, anyway, some of you may be behind, but the renewed program works. Read the article and use it with caution. But the way I put it is this is a, a program that if you buy a lot of stuff annually, especially kitchen appliances, power tools and stuff like that can save you hundreds of dollars a year just by knowing it exists. Just by like I bought my angle grinder, my DeWalt angle grinder, cordless angle grinder off of there. It saved me 50 bucks. Right. That's just one time. So definitely know this exists and use it. And somebody's mentioning commercials during the live stream. Yes. Yes. There will be commercials approximately once every 30 minutes during my live streams, which is two or three an episode. And it's because I don't hate money and they all should be skippable, which means you should not be annoyed by them for more than five seconds unless you're interested. So, yes, that's that's how that program works with uh, Amazon. I got to pay like Tom says right there. I got to pay the bills. But Renew definitely can help you with that. I've wrapped things up tomorrow. I have a great interview. We're going to talk about Biltong with Anton from Anton's House of Biltong, who is now an MSB uh, supporter and has been for a few months that makes really great Biltong. We're talking about making Biltong and we're going to talk about setting up a brand new small business that he's made, you know, a going concern and basically earns his living from by finding a niche and making it available to people and making a great product. So I thought that would be a great interview. One of the few instances where I actually reached out and said, Hey, would you come on the show? Reached out to Anton. He agreed to that. So that's what we'll be talking about tomorrow, Thursday, expert council Q and a, as long as the pikers send me enough content, I shook the tree today. Content's already coming in and then flashback Friday. We'll do it all again next week. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you'll never have to pay.